6 through 8, and 19 to 28. Hear now the word of the Lord. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. <clears throat> now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are a God of presence, um, a God of hope and peace and joy. Um, and Lord, we just pray that <clears throat> you will help this scripture uh, become new this morning to us. Lord, help us to see it differently. Um, help us, help it to change us and transform us. Um, and just help us to think differently um, these next couple weeks of Advent um, as we wait and prepare um, for the joy and peace and love and hope that you are bringing. And in your name we pray, amen. So our scripture this morning is essentially the same passage uh, as last week about John the Baptist, but it comes from a different gospel. Last week, uh, the scripture came from Mark, and it talked about how John came to bear witness about the good news. And this week, we hear that John comes to bear witness about the light. Both the good news and the light are Jesus Christ. Prepare the way of the Lord, he says. <clears throat> But how exactly are we supposed to do this? I can barely prepare for my friends to come or for my family to come into town. How in the world do I prepare for the coming of the Lord? Does this mean make up a bed, go to the grocery store so for once I have food in my fridge, clean my house and act like it looks like that all the time? Maybe even think of some fun activities for the Lord and I to do together. <laughs> I don't know. Such as. <laughs> Go to the park? I don't know. Not right now. It's too cold for that. But Sledding. Sledding. Ice skating. Um, but I'm going to go on on a limb and say that preparing for the Lord is going to look a little different than preparing for a simple house guest. 
I think preparing for the Lord means preparing to be able to receive the Lord, which for all of us means preparing our hearts and our minds to be changed, to be transformed. And today I'm going to suggest that an essential part of this preparing is the act of truth-telling. In Mark, it says that John is a prophet in order to make the point that John came to tell the truth because that's what prophets do. Truth-telling is what we see John the Baptist do today in our text. It's what all prophets do. They come and tell the truth no matter how unpopular or hard to hear the truth might be. John the Baptist was both telling the truth and also preparing the way for truth, which is Jesus Christ. Truth-telling happens in the most unlikely of places. It's often not from our political leaders or those in positions of authority, but it's from one another. Two Mondays ago, I was at an event called The Moth, which is uh, an NPR program in which uh, people from the audience get up and tell real-life stories about themselves in front of hundreds of people. <clears throat> Uh, it's the first Monday of every month here in Pittsburgh, um, and each month there is a theme. This takes place down at the Rex Theater in the South Side. Um, so this month's theme was dirt. Tell a story of a time you got dirty, or you had dirt on someone, or someone had dirt on you. These themes are designed to have a comical air about them, and people are welcome to tell stories intense stories, serious stories, but these nights are normally far more comedic than they are reflective. Monday night, though, a couple weeks ago, was a very different kind of moth night. Storyteller after storyteller got on stage and told very deep personal stories about their lives. Two had to do with the death of a parent one had to do with struggles of bulimia, abuse, and homelessness, and yet another had to do with attempted suicide. They told these vulnerable stories on stage in front of 200 people. And the host, who is a very funny guy, was clearly uncomfortable being in such a vulnerable place. And some of these stories didn't even have to do with the theme of the night which for me only confirmed that people needed to do some truth-telling that night. I think for a long time, people have been desperate to tell the truth about their life, to express the things weighing on their heart, but they haven't felt they could do so. I look at the world and I see a world that in many ways, it's so broken, you can hardly see where the pieces used to fit together. But in other ways, I see a world that is finally allowing space for truth-telling. It has taken way too long, and we still are a far way off, but I think that when the moth opened in Pittsburgh six years ago, these stories would not have been told. Only now, after seeing Strength and others talk publicly about racism, sexism, homophobia, mental illness, homelessness, and so on and so forth, do people feel safe enough to tell their own truth? One woman that night said it was this act of truth-telling that has allowed her to take her dirt and fertilize it into soil. And so it is with all of us. 
The beginning of our good news starts with truth-telling. This is how we get to hope and peace and joy, all the things we have been celebrating this Advent season. We cannot live into these things unless we begin by telling the truth, whether that be our own truth or the truth that we see around us. The scripture this morning seems very simple and straightforward, but when we look at it closer, there is a lot of beauty. John comes from the wilderness. We know this because the only thing that he says to the priests and the Levites that is not super vague is, I am the one, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. It is important to know that John comes from the wilderness because the wilderness plays a big role in salvation history. Salvation has traditionally come from the wilderness. Moses, Elijah, and David all fled to the wilderness, and God met them there. And then we see Jesus enter out of the wilderness to begin his ministry of truth-telling. <clears throat> Jesus came to tell the truth about sin and to, save <coughs> and to save us from that sin, but he does so by telling the truth that names our own compliance, our own conformity, our own tolerance of inequality, and he names the kind of sin that believes we have gotten past, the isms that exclude and excuse, and that insist on rationalizing acts of dehumanization. Okay, so Jesus came to liberate a captive people, and part of that liberation includes us understanding the role we play <clears throat> in captivating each other and then repenting of these roles. In baptism, there is repentance. And to repent in the Greek is meant to noia, to change one's mind and to do a work. It's a combination of the both, a turning from something to something else. Uh, so we need to repent of the sin that we do to one another, but also of what sin tries to tell us is our truth. We need to repent from false idols to God, from false narrative to truth, from people telling us that we are not worthy to be loved, that we are not worthy of grace, that peace is not obtainable, that we do not deserve joy, to a gospel that tells us that we are loved at our darkest. that our imperfections <clears throat> are what make us beautiful and that grace abounds for us. <coughs> I really don't know what's going on with my voice. I hope you guys have a lot of time. <clears throat> so anyway, we need to turn from the lies the world tries to tell us <clears throat> and turn towards the truth in Jesus Christ. And like we see in John the Baptist, <clears throat> or on a random Monday night at the moth, this truth does not come from where we expect. It comes from the messiness, from the confusion, the darkness, the unknown, also known as the wilderness. I hope we see this as a comfort. This wilderness is not absent of God, <clears throat> which is how we feel when we, we are there, right? When we are in the wilderness, we feel distant from God. But the wilderness is where God chooses to meet us. 
The wilderness is where the truth is revealed. <clears throat> truth comes when we need to be liberated from something. But truth is only the beginning of our good news. <clears throat> when it <coughs> It's only the beginning of our good news when it is acknowledged and accepted. In order for that to happen, people have to be able to tell their truths. But truth will not be told <clears throat> when people fear for their safety in doing so. Truth will not be told if there is no one to tell it to. Truth will not be liberating if those who hear it do not accept it. Time Magazine named their person of the year the silence breakers. Are those a part of the Me Too sexual harassment campaign? For those who might not be aware of what this is, <clears throat> it was a campaign that was revived on social media a few months ago when Harvey Weinstein was accused of sexually assaulting multiple women. This campaign, however, was started in 2006 by a, by a black activist named Tarana Burke in the hopes of shedding light and bringing awareness to sexual assault happening in underprivileged communities of color. It wasn't until Alyssa Milano started hashtagging Me Too, asking women to share similar stories that have happened to them, that this movement went viral. And I talk about this today <clears throat> in church because this is what the gospel talks about when it talks about liberation. This right here is the call of the church to speak out against injustice, to do whatever it takes to allow people to tell their truth. And on this Sunday of Advent, where we lit the candle of joy to look forward to the joy that Christ brings, there is no time more relevant in talking about our duty as Christians to help achieve the joy that Christ has put before us. <coughs> I think we can learn multiple things from this movement. It should not have taken 10 years for this movement to go viral. We need to do better in figuring out where truth is being told, in listening to the voices in our communities, rather than waiting for a famous actress to tweet about it. We also learn that when people speak out, it encourages others to speak out too. <coughs> Knowing you are not alone, and that you have people supporting you and yearning to hear your story makes all the difference. Time's person of the year is not a person, but a group of people, a movement. To me, that shows that real change and transformation comes from people working together towards something. And if that's not what the church is intended to be, then I don't know what is. We are a group of people working towards something. We are a group of people who believe in the work of Jesus Christ and are working towards the fulfillment of his liberation of the world. Advent is about promises. The awaiting and anticipation of promises fulfilled. The promise of salvation. The promise that truth-telling will yield liberation. Truth-telling is a scary thing, though, as we have seen. <clears throat> John did it, and he was beheaded. Jesus did it, and he was crucified. We do it, and we are shamed and ignored and told that our truth doesn't matter. <clears throat> Except that it does. 
and Jesus made sure that it did by exemplifying what it looks like to tell the truth. If the past few weeks and months of people having the courage to tell the truth has taught us anything, it's that our truth matters. But you, <clears throat> but you see, telling the truth, though, wasn't what killed Jesus. It was the inability of those around him to accept the truth that killed him. It was the suppression of truth that led to crucifixion. As a church, are we going to continue to suppress truth? We say that we spread the truth, but whose truth are we spreading? Is it the truth we tell ourselves because it's easier to face, <clears throat> or is it Christ's truth? The Old Testament passage in the lectionary today is Isaiah 61, which says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, in the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, <clears throat> that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, that shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The truth we see here is that Jesus stands on the side of the oppressed and promises to reveal their truth and reign in justice. As a church, <clears throat> are we following Christ's example and standing with the oppressed, revealing their truth and helping to bring forth justice? This needs to happen before we can preach of this joy, before we can preach of the day when we will wear beautiful headdresses instead of ashes. Telling the truth and advocating for the truth is exhausting. This Advent season, I have been reminding myself to endure these hard tasks that we are called to do as a church. Some of these hard tasks are exhausting, <clears throat> not because of the work we are doing for others, but because of the work we first have to do in ourselves. People say they don't want to go to therapy because it's stupid or they don't think that it works, but I think people don't want to go because then they will be confronted with the truths of their lives that they have tried so hard to deny. Truth, while being liberating, can be an incredibly difficult thing to face. And yet even when we are faced with it, it is a whole other thing to accept it. Maybe what it looks like to prepare the way of the Lord is to create places for people to tell their truths. Part of what it may look like is confronting your own truth so you can accept the truth of others. I'm all about asking questions right now and figuring out what better questions the church can be asking. So <clears throat> what would it look like for the church to be a safe place for truth-telling? 
What would it look like for us to listen to those truths and accept them? I really want us to imagine this. What would it look like if anyone and everyone felt that the church could help them achieve a sense of freedom for their life? To be honest, it's hard for me to imagine the people I encounter having a view of church as a freeing community rather than a silencing one. But I want to imagine the liberation that could come from this. I want to imagine how many people the good news could actually become a reality for. The joy people could actually experience if their truth was accepted. So if we want to prepare the way of the Lord this Advent season, I believe we need to prepare the way for truth to be told. And for each of us, this may look different, but I encourage you to take some time this next week and think about what that might look like for you. Amen. I made it. <laughs> Way to persevere, Maggie.